One of the smartest things your company can do is back up its data regularly, but where you keep that data is also a really important decision. We'll discuss offsite storage next on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom. Welcome to the Cyber24 podcast, the weekly podcast dedicated to helping businesses and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. We also look at interesting cybersecurity stories in the news and help make sense of them and see what lessons you can take from cybersecurity incidents other organizations have experienced. I'm Marty Carpenter. I work in strategic communications, public affairs, and general problem solving. And I'm joined today by Dan Schuyler, cybersecurity solutions architect with Valcom. And today's special guest, new to the pod, J.R. Maycock, CIO of Perpetual Storage. Uh, Dan, J.R., welcome to both of you. Marty, always good to be here. First timer. Looking forward to our conversation. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the cybersecurity field, and uh, what your role is at Perpetual Storage. Happily. So, if we trace it back, I, like many folks who now work in some field connected to IT, got my start out of video gaming. As you know, a 10 year old person who needs to be able to understand what makes a computer work better. I never stopped being fascinated by it. Uh, I did a few years of freelance work in transition towards college and then moved into the corporate world pretty quickly afterwards. Uh, I've been in that realm a network administrator, a systems administrator, <clears throat> a virtual uh, virtual systems architect, and then I spent another two to three years at a technology partner entity specializing in data protection and especially then the context of Microsoft Cloud Services. That's sort of been my trajectory and technical background towards this topic, but it was really personal fascination that got me to say data protection was what I cared about most and where all of the other fields of the discipline needed to be connected together to form some new cohesive whole based on all of my external understanding. I came to Perpetual Storage uh, about a year ago now, joined as a direct employee in 2019, though I've been involved with them in a technical architect point of view for several years prior to that. So it's been a fun journey along my way to come to this position and get the experience I've had so far. Yeah, and I think this topic of offsite storage is one that's particularly interesting to our audience because they're seeing more and more in the headlines Uh, businesses like theirs, businesses perhaps in their industry, or even government entities, municipalities that are having uh, cybersecurity issues, and it keeps popping up. Well, they either had a backup or they didn't. And I just think sometimes we glance over that and they don't really think through, what are my my storage options? What are my backup options? And uh, this one, I think, and what Perpetual Storage does is particularly of interest to them. So let's jump right into the topic, shall we? Uh, First, let's start with the basics. Why is off-site storage important to a business? Everything we're going to talk about is going to lead back to one core truth. Off-site storage is about risk management. There are several classes of risks that can get addressed simultaneously by a correct off-site storage implementation. Some of them are physical. So that could be a fire, a flood, earthquake, some kind of an electrical surge or lightning strike, or a human-caused disaster, something like an 18-wheeler crashing into a room. Some of these threats are also digital. So examples there are things like data deletion by a cybersecurity adversary or misuse or loss of administrative credentials. And some of these risks that have to be protected against 
exists solely inside of the human operations realm, things like employee malfeasance or data embezzlement and intellectual property theft. Offsite storage is a very important, I would say, fundamental prerequisite piece to successfully addressing all of these classes of risks. Conversely, all of them are addressed simultaneously with the right strategy. So that's the incentive for a business to pay attention. It's about managing risk. JR is absolutely correct with regards to managing risk. And time and time again, we hear of organizations that have on-site backup but they don't have any disaster recovery strategy in place, uh, which means an offsite backup. So to JR's point, if there's a fire, flood, earthquake, what have you, and that onsite backup is compromised, what, what is that organization going to do if their onsite backup has been destroyed because of that disaster? So it, it's, it's a critical part of any organization's uh, data security and backup strategy to have a replication of their on-site backup off-site as well. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, the precautions in place then with perpetual storage. You mentioned a few things there, uh, fire, flood, earthquake, or an 18-wheeler. Uh, I'm guessing because those are some of the examples you were drawn to that you can kind of walk us through not only some of the security measures in place, but but how those things then are elements from which a company is protected if they store data with perpetual storage. So perpetual storage, uh, name I'll use interchangeably with the acronym PSI, I'll probably float back and forth between those. We have a business campus that is a very unique physical space. It's located in Little Cottonwood Canyon, a few miles east of the Salt Lake Valley in Utah. It exists as an underground vault. So we are drilled several hundred feet back into a geologically unique slab of homogeneous granite that is incredibly stable and is one of only a few formations on the planet that are this shape, this type of rock, and is certainly the only one that's been commercially developed. Our presence there in the mountain underground is part of this protection strategy against physical events. You know, there are no major roads that point to us, not even close, not even slightly. The rock around us has been tested and measured by a couple generations of seismologists now. The business opened its campus in 1968. We've had long collaborations with the University of Utah and BYU to do these tests. But the seismology test suggests that anything up through a magnitude 8.2, 8.5 earthquake just sort of passes over us without impacting our internal campus. We're at that really great balance point where we're high enough up to be outside of flood zones, we're underground enough to be outside of storm zones, but we don't have significant uh, concerns or significant exposure to things like any landslide or avalanche that would just cause us to dig out the front door and have operations continue as normal and don't have any exposure to that seismic risk. Uh, we try and really harden that facility in a special way. The That 52-year history is really around our degree of operational maturity and our ability to say, okay, we understand that we need to have multiple redundant sources of electricity available to keep that operation running even if there is a significant physical disaster and utility power is lost. Same story with provision of water for internal employees, internal cisterns that are refiltered, air supply goes through the same thing. Uh, We're highly confident of our ability to sustain independent operations away from utility providers for 30 days or more at a time in the worst case events. And then even that then extends to data connectivity for where we have 
multiple independent disparate internet connections coming out of that building up and down the canyon, as well as options to divert to wireless fallbacks that rely on line of sight links. I've actually been in their facility and it's, it's quite impressive. Um, the analogy I like to use is it's a mini NORAD. Uh, if you've ever seen movies of the, the uh, mountain where NORAD is located, it, it, it feels like it's a mini NORAD when you're walking into the facility. It's, it's very cool and it's uh, very secure um, and it's well inside the mountain. So it's, it's quite impressive. And what I keep picturing like an underground layer that Dr. Evil would use for his base of operations where no one can actually get to it except for maybe a, a super spy like Austin Powers, something along those lines. That actually sounds like a really cool use of, of uh, a very, uh, uh, it sounds like a very cool use of a unique space and that you guys have taken all these precautions to take advantage of all the strengths of the isolation and then been able to address all the potential liabilities that come with being isolated, like having, uh, you know, being cut off of the power grid or anything like that. So it, I think we're all getting a better and a clearer picture of, of what the facility's like. How does data get securely into and out of the facility? Is this something where, you know, a, a, a business would send uh, a, a hard drive, an external hard drive with all their data or several drives with all their data every day? How does the data get in and out of the, of the facility? How does that work? Yeah, it's obviously a very important question. Perpetual Storage operates a private courier service. We have our own fleet of company vehicles and our own staff who operate the runs of those vehicles to the four counties of the Wasatch Front and Summit County in Park City. That's our primary method of the physical collection of objects that are going to be stored that, you know, have tangible volume, hard drives and other types of stuff. I'm sure we'll get into that part later. For operational security reasons, we don't really accept direct drop-offs. We don't ask clients to bring their own vehicles to our site or anything. There needs to be a better chain of custody maintained over the materials, which is why we do that through a private courier service of our own, or since we can't run a private courier service that goes all over the country quite as feasibly as we can for these core four counties. We also have relationships with the major public couriers, UPS, FedEx, and others to do certified shipping using containers that are highly tamper resistant and have mechanisms to maintain that chain of custody track while they're being moved around for physical delivery. Parallel to that entire physical realm, we also have a series of digital services that are delivered. Based on this high-speed internet connectivity and multi-gigabit bandwidth into and out of the site, we are able to ingest data that comes from client organizations and get stuff over to us. In reality, it's pretty simple to describe that. I think a lot of companies get caught here and use a lot of language that intimidates non-technical decision makers or tries to, you know, pull the curtain in front of whatever needs to not be shown. It's much simpler in our case. There is software that runs at a client site. It captures the state of computers and files that hold business data at specific points in time. Once that data state has been captured to a backup file, it is transmitted across the internet in an encrypted connection to perpetual storage. We store it in our data center for that client, and then we have the ability to replicate additional instances of that data to offline media. And that means that the first copy sent up can take a long time, but we can sustain future copies by only sending change data. And that digital transit service is the 
future direction of evolution we feel for most types of business data. Physical storage will never go away. It will very much be important, but the speed of delivery and the consistency of delivery of those digital services is very important to our business. And the speed of that uh, digital service is important to organizations that need to recover quickly uh, in case of a disaster or a, a loss of data. And so that's a, a key component of having that, that digital pipeline, if you will, to and from uh, PSI. Let's take a quick break. A reminder that Cyber24 is presented each week by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and service provider with drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35 plus years means they have the experience and expertise to help your business from desktop to data center. We'll take a quick break and be back with more on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. Listen, IT leaders, I know how hard it is to manage your security posture. With dozens of different security technologies that vary in process, application, and response, wouldn't it be nice if you had security baked right into your actual server hardware? HPE's Gen 10 servers offer exactly that. As Utah's biggest HPE Platinum partner, Valcom believes that your server infrastructure should be a priority in your defensive strategy. Protect your organization with innovations in firmware protection, malware detection, and firmware recovery, right down to the silicone. Learn more and check out Valcom's on-demand webinar with HPE at vlcm.com slash server dash security. That's vlcm.com slash server dash security. Don't you wish your kid's soccer team could have 12 goalies instead of one? Blocking malware, exploits, and ransomware is just like blocking a soccer ball. Sophos's Intercept X employs a comprehensive, defense-in-depth approach to endpoint protection rather than simply relying on one primary security technique. It's 12 goalies instead of one. Ranked number one in malware protection, exploit protection, security effectiveness, and total cost of ownership. Valcom and IntercepTX will protect your most vital information. So get some more goalies. Visit vlcmtech.com slash intercept dash X. That's vlcmtech.com slash intercept dash X. Welcome back to the Cyber24 podcast, continuing our discussion with Dan Schuyler, the cybersecurity solutions architect from Valcom and perpetual storage CIO, JR Maycock. So uh, JR, how quickly can a business access the stored data, the backups, if they need it, if it comes to that? Physical delivery uh, will rely on courier service range, and that can be done same day. We maintain a monitoring system and an inbound phone line other contact methods that mean if there's an emergency even if it happens after hours holidays anything we will fulfill the promise to go get those materials and get them to a company as fast as possible usually very much in that same day and then digital delivery uh, anything that is kept in online storage is continuously accessible there's a live network connection that doesn't require any special actions. A customer can self-service get back to that data. We do think that there's something that really sets us apart in response time of digital data when you need a lot of it back at once. That is that we have the ability to put that data back onto a portable storage device and get that to a customer location, either through courier services, through highly certified overnight shipping, or through, if necessary, a 
perpetual storage employee maintaining physical custody on an airplane delivered to a customer site, you know, emergency flight out uh, very quickly. And you see a lot of other instances of offsite data storage where response times get quoted as five days, 10 days plus. We operate much more in the under two days, under one day timeline. That's a big uh, amount of time savings and ultimately a lot of money savings for a company that would find itself in a position that needs that type of data. Every hour you're offline contains significant consequences for customer reputation, lost transactions, all sorts of things, employee productivity. Yeah, you want to cut that time down. Time is money for sure. When you talk about data saved in the Mountain Vault, that conjures up an image of really big businesses that would use the services. My mind immediately jumps to like big banks, hospital groups, et cetera. Uh, do most of your clients fit that description of a, a big business? Or uh, give me an idea of, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some limitations as to what you can tell us, but can you just kind of give us a general sketch of what types of businesses use these services and does it fit the perception that I, that I just described? It is important to maintain client anonymity here. So we'll be describing this in some slightly more abstract terms. Perpetual storage does form a good partner to the types of businesses you described, very large entities, but they do not form our largest client count, uh, either by number of clients nor by revenue share. We really have a much more diverse set of entities we interact with and consider clients. Some of them are municipal, some of them are educational, uh, there's lots of private enterprise entities, and there are many nonprofit entities as well, different types of museums or uh, records keepers and data analysis firms that work to improve public housing projects and things like that. So the number of different clients that we serve really can run that spectrum. I don't want to give anyone an impression that we're somehow limited only to the highest 5% of revenue or, you know, over 10,000 full-time employee of anything. And that extends as well to, in this calendar year, we're planning to launch a physical storage product, uh, it's sort of a little personal security box that is directly to the consumer market, available to use our offsite storage for home storage services. So we really are trying to be as diverse as possible from that point of view. So what I'm hearing then is that it's not so much the number of full-time employees uh, at a company, it's more the value of the data. So you could have a, it could be a gigantic company that has a lot of data. It could be a big bank, could be a big hospital organization, but it could also be a two-man operation that just recognizes the value of the data that they have to run their business and wants to have it in, a, in such a secure location. Yep, that is very much the common factor of alignment to client base is the value embedded in that business data. Yeah. So we got kind of a clearer picture of, of what, the, uh, what, the, what the vault looks like, what the setup is like. But now that I'm starting to picture sort of what's in the vault, um, I picture sort of stacks and stacks of external hard drives uh, sitting on, on racks, uh, you know, in some sort of gigantic warehouse type situation. Uh, are there other things that business would store in the vault besides just data, besides hard drives? Are there other things where this is a particularly good fit? Yeah, actually, it's this is a fun one because when you end up, if you ever choose to come up for a tour and arrange that in advance with us at the vault, uh, if you walk around, there really is a real fun diversity of stuff where you go, oh, that's a creative use of offsite storage. There are you know, more objects than you might consider that first time. Hard drives, like you mentioned, definitely form an important piece of this. They're 
probably our fastest growing item in number that are kept inside the vault, but they aren't our largest footprint by physical space, by physical volume, by any stretch yet. And those can either be standalone or inside full computer systems, depending on how a client wants to choose that transit. There is a lot of storage of magnetic tape as well. That's still a very, very good choice as stable, low-cost, long-term media to keep data states, especially if it's an archive data or some kind of a compliance data. Data there can't be changed very easily, but when it needs to be kept around as a reference state, tape can be a perfect option. Then we start to get into these other areas uh, and going back in time to when perpetual storage began as a business, one core item that's always been kept there, even starting in the late 1960s and early 70s, is copies of vital records. They can be on paper, they can be on microfilm, which is still very commonly used by county recorders and municipal entities. Now, everything there is subject to some pretty strict packaging requirements for how it stays inside our vault warehouse space. We specialize in being a non-flammable area. So there's no open paper, no cardboard boxes. Everything is contained inside specialized containers that have one to two separate layers of fire-defeating technology, shall we put it. And that definitely differentiates us from a bunch of other storage crews who do just hold paper all over the place. Still, that type of record storage does exist and there's an ongoing need for it. Evolving that a little bit, one of the primary products we serve to businesses for offsite storage is a disaster recovery box. Uh, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's multiple crates. And into that collection of storage items, we encourage a company to put everything they can conceivably need to recover from near total physical and digital destruction of their assets. So that means things like their incident response plans and their phone trees for responsibility and decision making. So there is a copy held around even if the rest of them in normal operation were gone. That means installation media and license keys for hypercritical business applications. That means maybe some physical servers if they are appropriate to be held off site as reserve equipment to form some core functions. It certainly means things like master keys for office spaces and service agreements with insurance companies or warranty providers. All of that stuff put together that forms a rapid response kit where instead of having to try and source those materials from a hundred different places, it is one call to us, dropped on a van, brought to you. And I actually think out of all of it, this is probably going to show the nerd side, but maybe my favorite thing we store off-site are hardware roots of trust. These are things like hardware security modules, physical encryption keys, root certificates, or other computers that form the very basis of other digital trust elements upstream for them and need to be protected and kept safe for decades at a time. Those master keys in the digital sense do live in the physical realm a lot of time. They usually fall down to eventually be a device, and we form a really excellent place to hold devices of that type. So Dan, I'm thinking that uh, I know how cybersecurity experts like firewalls, and it sounds to me that when JR is describing the regulations for how many pieces of paper or something could be together and, and when they're walled off into a fireproof or, or a contamination-proof device. We're talking about a whole different kind of firewall, but even though it's physical and digital, 
that's got to just make a cybersecurity guy like you feel good. Absolutely. One of the key elements of a backup strategy is not only having that copy offsite, but in a secure location, because clearly if you're storing it in a facility that's a mile down the road from you and your building suffers an earthquake, it's very likely that that building is going to suffer an earthquake as well. So you want to make sure that that offsite backup is also securely stored. So if there is a disaster, it will survive that disaster. Yeah. JR, in a physical space, we're talking about a section of the mountain and one that specifically uh, or that is unique to the type of security needs you provide. What are your expansion capabilities or limitations? Do you have the capacity to handle demand if, uh, if people, let's say, listen to this podcast and all of a sudden you've got a rush and suddenly your business triples? Uh, no guarantee, but if, if no or when, when, when in the timeline things, uh, that space begins to fill up, what are your expansion capabilities? It's a very important operational question for a business like ours. Uh, and fortunately, we feel pretty comfortable with our answer set in being able to respond to a surge of demand if we are fortunate enough to have one of those. The existing campus and its underground vault has a lot of good runway for density improvements by changing the way objects are physically stored in there and by making sure that we're staying on top of the evolution of media where the same size of hard drive in volume of space can suddenly hold way more data on it, for instance. We can keep up with growth and demand that way without even having to change our facility over time. Additionally, the other good news is uh, Perpetual Storage is a privately held company held by the same family that founded it the entire time since the 1960s. And the land that is owned for our primary campus location happens to extend uh, several hundred meters into the mountain itself as well as up and down canyon. If we saw a surge in demand that needed additional physical storage space, we could cut out several more vaults, each probably two to three the times the physical size of our existing vault. Uh, our expected total capacity using you know modernized tunnel drilling and coring techniques and taking advantage of the construction improvements that have happened since the 1960s when the vault was originally built out, we would be able to move into the realm of having more than a cubic kilometer of underground space at our maximum density. So usually we don't have a lot of ways to worry about running out of the physical space area, at least not for a hundred or so years or something to that effect. Well, this is fascinating stuff. JR, I uh, appreciate you taking some time to let us know a little bit more about what you guys do at Perpetual Storage. I, I actually think there's so much more we want to talk about. Uh, let's let's stick around for another episode. We'll do another episode for next week uh, because there's so, uh, several other things I still want to cover with you. Um, just so if you're listening and following along with the pod, check us out on the next episode. More with uh, JR Maycock and uh, Perpetual Storage and Dan as well. We'll all, we'll all be here. We'll just keep going, but we'll put it on to a next episode uh, and have that coming up right after this. As we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and productive. Check them out at vlcmtech.com to learn more about Valcom's end-to-end -end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, 
and so much more. That's vlcmtech.com. I also want to thank our sponsoring partners, the Utah Department of Technology Services, the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute, Secuvant, Utah Attorney General's Office, and the Utah Department of Public Safety. You can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can follow us on Facebook. Hit us up in either place to let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss in the future, you can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everybody, and stay safe online.